Okay, good morning everyone. This is the third week, I believe, in our series on how to grow as a Christian. And again, we're using curriculum from Capitol Hill Baptist Church. So, credit to them if you hear anything good. If not, it's probably my fault. Um, Arnie and I are going to be switching off, by the way. So, if you don't like me teaching, you're in luck. Arnie's probably going to teach next week. Uh, Okay, so... I wanted to, I I think I might be a little too ambitious to try to finish last week's lesson and do all of this week's lesson, but that's what we're going for anyway. So I, as you see on your note sheet, I have some of what we covered last week. By way of review, does anyone remember, we talked about all of life worship, and we talked about how we can also think, like we can either think of worship in terms of like worship as something we're constantly hoping to do, no matter what we're doing, but also we can think of worship as a specific act. Without looking at your note sheet, does anyone remember three examples of worship as a specific act? Yes. Um, corporate worship, family worship, and private worship. No yes. Quiet time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No quiet times. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's that's great. So, um, yeah, we talked about how two of the most general, basic reasons that we owe God our worship. Does anyone remember those two from Revelation four and five? Was it that he created us and that he saved us? Yes. So, like, we've wanted to over? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, he is our creator and he is our redeemer. Amen. Um, okay, and then, so, we had talked about the means of acceptable worship. We talked about, uh, in order to worship God acceptably, we need both revelation, we need God to reveal himself to us, mm-hmm. and not just in a general creation way, where we can, we, ha- we know enough from seeing the world that, that he exists, and that he's powerful, uh, but we need special revelation to know like our lostness and to know what he has done in Christ Jesus to save sinners. And so first we need revelation, and then we also need, well, what I don't think we got to was redemption. So number four on your sheet under understanding worship, God has redeemed us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we know that whether we're coming to Christ for salvation or whether we're coming to Christ we've been a believer for 20 years even when we come to God in worship or prayer we're still coming through the mediation of Jesus Christ and I, I forget who said this Chris might remember but there's a quote maybe it's Owen who says in my best prayer there's enough sin even in that to condemn me to hell yeah I'm not sure okay anyway that the truth is is profound like even in our even in our greatest act of, of righteousness we are still dependent on the Christ to cover us Christ as our mediator uh, anything good in us is from him and even yeah even our best prayer is tainted with sin tainted with selfishness tainted with um, a lack of love for God with our whole heart soul strength and mind so we're constantly dependent on Christ to cover us. So, if we are in Christ, that is how we approach God with assurance, with confidence, Hebrews 4, that even our imperfect, faltering worship can be pleasing to the Father in and through Christ. So, a quote from David Peterson that's helpful. Um, He says, Fundamentally, worship in the New Testament means believing the gospel and responding with one's whole life and being 
to the person and work of God's Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a nice Trinitarian definition. We're responding with our whole being, heart, soul, strength, and mind to the work of God's Son, who He is, what He's done in the power of the Holy Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit. All right, any questions before we move on? Okay, so, and sorry, I'm gonna kind of try to fly, but please stop me if, if anything comes up. <clears throat> so the manner of worship. Could someone please read John 4, 23 through 24? This is Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Okay, go for it. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. <clears throat> Great. So, the manner of our worship, according to these verses, should be in spirit and truth. That's clear. But, let's define what that means. Does anyone want to take a stab at that? So this is, you know, the Samaritan woman is asking, we didn't read the, all the context, but she's asking about the appropriate place to worship God. Uh, she says, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship. And so uh, this, what we just read is part of Jesus' response to that. Um, so yeah, anyone want to take a stab at it? What it means to worship in spirit and truth? I think the truth part is a little bit easier to define because we sort of talked about that last mm -hmm. week. But yeah. that God has given us specific ways that we are to worship Him, mm -hmm. and we're not to just make up our own ways. Like for uh, what's Exodus 32, the golden calf. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You can't worship God through an image. And yeah. we talked about the regulative principle as opposed to the normative. Yeah. Uh, but so, that, and the regulative says that we can't worship God in any way other than what is prescribed in the Bible, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so, that's right. So we have to worship God in the ways that he prescribes for us, not just coming up with our own ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's that's helpful. I, I think I think that definitely applies. Yeah, I, I wonder, too, if it's an allusion to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It's like he... I mean, I don't, think, I don't think you're wrong, but just this profound thing of, like, we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, like, through Jesus Christ, the, the one mediator. Um, anyway, uh, I think Ligon Duncan was helpful, and he, he pointed out that it means at least two things. He said, first, we must realize that God is spirit, therefore, he's not tied no longer at this time in redemptive history. He is no longer tied to one location for our worship. In the past, in his sovereign will, he did, uh, he, he tied himself more directly to the tabernacle or the temple. That's the place where his name uh, was, was uh, made to dwell. But now, uh, that's not the case anymore. And so, the Samaritan woman wrongly thought that there was a specific place. And he said, no, we must worship God in spirit. God is spirit. Uh, and then second, we must worship according to the truth of Jesus' person and work. For he is the truth. And so the only way that we can truly worship God is through him. Um, also, though, I don't think that's necessarily in opposition to what you were saying, though, Logan, because 
um, you know, the word is central to that as well. Like, how do we know? Like, God has revealed the truth about his son to us in his word, in special revelation. So, he is the one who has uniquely made known to us the Father and his purposes in his person and word. And Jesus is also the means by which the Father obtains true worshipers. And I think, I think also that worshiping in spirit um, probably also involves uh, being born again of the Holy Spirit. Like apart from the new birth, we can't worship God. We can't come to him, um, obviously, either. So uh, worship in spirit and truth necessitates receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, and have you guys ever, I, I don't know, I, I think it's also important to realize like these things aren't, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Like yeah. you don't ever want to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a worship in spirit guy. <laughs> That's not good. We, we, we can't do that. We need both. Because um, some people might define it as like, you know, worship in spirit's about the emotions. Worship in truth is about correct doctrine. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think that's what the passage is saying, especially with the spirit part. Um, so, but it's a both and, spirit and truth. Okay, uh, so next, how should we worship God through the spiritual disciplines? Um, does anyone want to try to define the spiritual discipline? Oh, yeah, what would you guys, what comes to mind when, it, when I say spiritual disciplines? Okay, yeah, like applying God's word. God's word, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Maybe using, like, the means of grace of the Lord to give messages like prayer, reading scripture, fellowshipping with other mm-hmm. believers, and using those to sustain our, our daily walk with Christ. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, the means of grace. Like, what specific things has God given to us to be means of our growth? Um, you know, is it, is it anything and everything like, oh, you know, I was surfing and just growing so, or like, is it, has he given us more specific things than that? Uh, yeah. Cause I think maybe that's, that's the way that in some spiritualities, that's kind of the way it's approached is like, well, anything I do, you know, anything I do can be a holy thing. And it's like, well, that's true in a sense, but at the same time, God has actually given us specific means of grace, specific ways to grow in grace. Does that kind of make sense? So we'll talk about that further. Um, Don Whitney, I like his definition. He said, spiritual disciplines are those practices found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers. They're habits of devotion, and they've been practiced by God's people since biblical times, most likely. Unless you're talking, yeah, yeah. I mean, the printing press changed a lot of things too, though. But um, I think the easiest definition, well, spiritual disciplines are a means to two specific things. I think the most concise way to put it is like, the goal of spiritual disciplines is to one, grow in love for Christ, and two, grow in conformity to Christ. So the second goal the second goal of our lesson last week was to understand the relationship between worship and the spiritual disciplines because our, our worship, our all-of-life worship, the Romans 12 sins that we're offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God um, as our acceptable worship, that's going to be expressed through 
specific spiritual disciplines, both individually and corporately. So first, we'll talk about in, as individuals. Um, worship ought to manifest itself in all of our living. It is not limited to a certain time each week when we're talking about this broad view of worship. Um, A.W. Tozer wrote, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. So our God is worthy of our worship, of being glorified, enjoyed, obeyed, and lived for every day of our lives. And that brings us again to, to the Romans 12, uh, Romans 12 idea. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Cooper brought up that verse early on in our lesson, which was really good last week. Um, so the sacrifice we offer here, this verse is not just talking about like a specific form of praise or service. It's, it's offering up our bodies themselves. Um, <clears throat> so corporate worship does not excuse individual or personal worship. It's not like, well, I got my fix on Sunday, so now I'm good. Rather, corporate worship should encourage the, the devotion for the rest of the week. It should be a, a pillar. It's like the Lord's Day is the feast. It's a feast day for us where we get to like, we get all the more of the word. We, we get more of the word than normal. We get to hear, sit under the preaching of the word, take the Lord's Supper, be strengthened in all these specific ways, but that doesn't negate our need to have daily bread, the daily bread of the word. Um, oh, I like this, this quote from Don Whitney's helpful. He says, can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day when they barely flicker for him in secret on other days? Isn't it because we do not worship well in private that our corporate worship experience often dissatisfies us? Does anyone have any thoughts or comments on that quote? Has that ever, has that idea ever, have you ever seen that in your own life? Can we expect the flames of our worship of God to burn brightly in public on the Lord's day? when they barely flicker for him in secret on other days. I think it's better if we actually not check our Sunday based on the other days, but check our other days based on <coughs> the, what, what, what we actually see in our life. To, you know, to actually check ourselves daily to, to see what we're, I think that's what the point you're making. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're saying like, seeing like the fruit of the Spirit in your daily life, that's a, that's perhaps the best barometer of like, where our heart's at in worship, is that, is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah, that's good. That's the difference between religion, uh, relationship and religion. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When you're in a relationship, you have daily contact and you know, you're you're growing in that relationship. If it's just religious, you're just checking it off. Right. Yeah, yeah. We don't want that checkbox Christianity. We want to be truly growing, growing in love, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, and, and growing in love for Him. Yeah, 
Um, that's good. Yeah, so that's, yeah, always keeping the meat, uh, what is the end of spiritual disciplines? Always keeping that before us. It's to grow like Christ and to grow in love for Christ. That's good. Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> so we're also not just, are, are we called to worship privately, but we're also called to worship together with other believers. So corporate worship is a special and particular expression of the total life responsive worship that we're to render to God. And so gathering together week in and week out is an essential means of being spiritually strengthened and encouraging one another to persevere in Christ. Our corporate worship fuels our individual worship and sustains and empowers the all of life worship and service that each of us is to offer to God in all that we do day by day. And then as as we come together as a local body of believers, we're also getting to commune with God corporately as the family of God in a special way. Uh, Could someone read Hebrews 10, 24 through 25? Thank you. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day draw nearing. Thank you. Yeah, so according to that, why are we to why are we to gather together? Why are we to meet together? What are the purposes? According to Hebrews 10. To encourage each other. Yeah. Absolutely. Encourage one another. Anything else? What meeting together um, produces love and good works yeah yeah stirring up one another yeah amen to find a way to give each other ideas of things that God wants done that we mm. want to be a part of yeah we want to be a part of yeah yeah God it's cool that God uses us in each other's lives but we need every single member of the body <clears throat> yes yeah yeah so Paul This might be surprising, like we're focusing on worshiping God, but Paul also regularly uses the terminology of edification rather than the language of worship to indicate the purpose and function of Christians gathering. And so, again, it's not in either we're worshiping God or we're edifying one another. These things go hand in hand too, which is encouraging. And so I think we see that in, uh, for example, in Ephesians 4, um, we're to build one another up in the assembly. It's not about a private spiritual experience. It's, it's, about, it's also about building one another up. So scripture knows nothing of this like individualistic Lone Ranger Christianity is, is something that is not a category. Um, it doesn't know of a Christian living in isolation from other believers. Like it describes the church as a body, as a household. In Ephesians 2, a body in 1 Corinthians 12. And so to be a Christian, I think, I would argue according to, to the Bible, is by definition to be a part of and involved in a body of believers, a local church. So in the same way, I, I think like if someone was living in unrepentant sin, we would say like that if someone claimed to be a Christian and was living in unrepentant sin, what would you say? 
I guess, or yeah. The thing is, life certainly doesn't bear that out. Right, yeah. Right, Yeah, that's all I was, yeah, that's basically all I was looking for. It's just like, that's a contradiction. There's tension there. It's like, wait a minute, like, you say this, it's true, you say you're in Christ, and, but that would mean that you would have a, a new heart, that you have a spirit, and so there should, there, there has to be repentance, like, First John uh, talks about like we're not just going to continue in sin, yeah, unrepentant sin. Um, and so I, what I want to argue is that in the same way we should we should feel the same kind of contradiction if someone claims to be a Christian that is part of like the universal church. To be a Christian is to be a part of Christ's universal body. There's also a a contradiction, a tension there if they say that, but they haven't tangibly expressed that. In, in joining themselves to and gathering with the local church. So, so yeah, the corporate worship, gathering with, yeah, get, being a part of a local church, this is, I think, definitional to New Testament Christianity. All right. And then I also <clears throat> just wanted to point out, <clears throat> excuse me, Ephesians 5.19 is, is really cool because it says, it, it talks about how we're addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so I think this is another example of how it's not an either-or between worship or edifying one another. Like God's word is saying a fruit of being filled with the Spirit, not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, is that you're going to uh, be filled with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord, but also you're going to be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, encouraging one another. Excuse me. So. <clears throat> we should sing songs to each other. Yeah. It, one of my pastors at a church we were at um, in China, actually, when we lived in China, he would, it, I think he was trying to really apply this, but like during corporate worship, he would often like look around at the saints as he was yes. leading in worship. Yes. And I really like that because he explained why. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I've done that sometimes too, just looking around at, at the room of, of God's people and, and being encouraged, like literally drawing encouragement from seeing my brothers and sisters in Christ also praising God. So, so yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and also I think everything that we're saying right now is, is getting at why it's not okay to say like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to live stream church or I'm just going to like watch a, a YouTube service. Scripture commands us to actually assemble physically with other believers for the purpose of approaching our triune God um, together. We're approaching him together for communion and for mutual edification. Um, so any, any questions or thoughts before we go on to Class number three on Bible intake. Okay, let's go on. So, <clears throat> the importance of Bible intake. We're going to spend two weeks on this. So, Arnie's going to clean up any mess I make. But, let's, <clears throat> let, me, let me start out and pose a general question. I want to hear from you guys. Why is Bible intake so important to our spiritual lives? Why are we starting here? Bible intake. This is the first kind of spiritual discipline we're talking about. Why is it foundational? Why is it so important to our spiritual lives? Because it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. John 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, what else? Um, I mean, I think we always think of like how 
is for our own sanctification. But also, something I've been convicted of is we don't realize, like somebody will ask you a question, oh, how does this relate, or look at this contradiction, or I'm struggling with this, and if we're not actively in the Word daily, it's very difficult to point someone in the correct direction. Mm-hmm. That's true, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another reason that we need each other. Like, uh, we need each other when we have a struggle. We go to a, a brother or sister and, and, you know, we're like, I'm confused about this. And then also it might be like, maybe you don't know the answer, but someone else, another older, more mature believer knows the answer. So that's another, like, there's so much mutual interdependence in the body of Christ. Yeah. But yeah, you can go first and then um, <clears throat> Scripture is where we learn about salvation. Yeah. Um, this is this is like where we yes. know about being a believer in Christ. Like yeah. this is where we gain our knowledge of that. So knowing mm. scripture and understanding it is vital. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Um, having lived uh, not being raised biblically, I see how much the Bible gives you the right and proper instructions to live a life mm. that is actually, you know, good and not, yeah. it doesn't lead you into things that you know the world because you always you need direction. Yeah. And the best direction is the Bible. Um, yeah. You know, and so otherwise you get direction elsewhere, and then yeah. that leads yeah. you to a lot of other things. So being in the Word and knowing that direction. Like, mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I think about we, we feed our bodies three more times a day. We need to feed our soul. Yeah. Or get yeah. Home. Absolutely. Amen. Do not live by bread alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you going to add something? Yeah, I was actually going to say the exact same thing. Okay, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's great. I was just going to say it's, it's, just, it's the sword of the spirit as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's how we. Um, Keep ourselves on the straight and narrow, and, yes. and, and and fight the um, the aversions and the distortions of the enemy. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Yeah, we that's another thing we never want to to divorce in our minds. Uh, the the word is the sword of the spirit. The spirit works in and through the word. The word is uh, is is uh, powerless without the the uh, work of the Holy Spirit. Like that's why we pray. Um, we, we always pray a prayer for illumination in the service before we, we uh, hear the word preached because we know uh, we need him to apply that word to our hearts to give us the grace to, to believe and obey. Yeah. And then I like what Crystal and Anastasia, what you both said to kind of combine those is like God's word is both, um, you know, it, it gives us the knowledge that we need for salvation. It talks about how God has worked from Genesis, uh, you know, all the way to Revelation, like his, like redemptive history, um, going from the fall to like the promise of, of someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and then all the way up to, you know, we, we learn about Jesus' person and work directly in the Gospels, and and what what will be the final consummation of all things in Revelation, and so, so we need that, and then to what you were saying, Scripture also teaches us how we should then live in response to what God has done for us in actual human history. So, so yeah, everything was really good that you guys said. Um, we're going <clears> to, <throat> this week, we're going to focus on hearing and reading God's word. Then next week, Arnie's going to talk more about specific things like memoriza- memorization and meditation. So, 
First off, we want to stress that biblical spirituality is Bible-centered. It's Christ-centered. It's Bible-centered. So our right practice of all the other spiritual disciplines flows from the time we spend in the scriptures. The word's going to inform everything else. Obviously, it's going to, reform, it's going to inform our prayers, our singing, our service, our evangelism, stewardship, everything. So we're going to talk about two reasons right at the outset of why the Bible is so critical for our Christian life. So first, could someone please read 1 Peter 1, verse 23? <clears throat> okay. Go for it. Since you have been born again, not a perishable, a perishable seed, but, but an imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Yeah, and then actually, could you also do 24 and 25? Yeah. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like flowers of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. So, so right here, according to this verse, what is the means of the new birth? What does God use to bring sinners new life in Christ? The living, abiding word. Yeah. Absolutely. It's his word. So this is, so that's reason number one that the Bible is so critical. It's the very means that we are given new life. That's what God uses. Um, conversion occurs in conjunction with the truth of the scriptures being read or heard and then believed. So now, could someone please read First Peter 2? Um, one through two, or one through three. This is just a few, yeah, basically the next few verses. I can read it. Go for it. Uh, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up salvation. Awesome, yeah. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Yeah, so, what are we told to long for here? What is this pure, yeah, or yeah, what are we, what are we told to long for? Yeah, well it says, yeah, pure spiritual milk, right? What is that? Sounds like we're saying that's the word, right? I mean, I think you guys are right. It's not the most straightforward translation though. I think, I think a better, <coughs> A better translation would probably be pure milk of the word. So, thankfully we still got there. That's what we're to long for, is the word. Um, but, pure spiritual milk uh, may not be the best translation because <clears throat> in, the, in the Greek it's uh, logikos there. Um, but then right in verse 4 and 5 it uses, it uses another word for spiritual um, twice, which is like pneumatikos. And so it's just kind of interesting. That, that's the basic, this might be more information than you even wanted, but that's like kind of like why I'm saying that I think it's not the best translation because it's like if he was just trying, if the author was trying to say spiritual, why would he not have used the same word um, in verse two that he, that he used in verses four and five? And so um, I think it is much more clear to just think of that as we're to long for the pure milk of the word. 
And I love that image, the milk of the word, because, um, I mean, we have a three-month-old right now. And, and so it, it says, like, like, newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And we're like, we see that every day. He's, he's constantly rooting. He's con- you know, uh, if he's upset, it's because he's hungry. Um, that, like, day in and day out, he, he's longing. Like, I'll hold him, and he's just like, ah. <laughs> um, and so... I think that's just a striking image that, that we're to, to long for God's word like that. Like, just think about that. Like a newborn baby longs for milk. That's how we're to long for his word. I was thinking also about how our son, he always, uh, we call him the spit-up king because he always drinks too much and then spits it all up. I don't really know how to make that into an, an analogy with the word, but maybe I'll work on that. Um, so, our spiritual maturity depends on a regular diet of God's word. All right, so now let's talk about preparing to receive the word. Because we know about how important it is. Oh, sorry, I forgot to make that point. Um, just the, the point that I want to make with First Peter 2.2 2 is that you know, what, what is the role of milk in the life of a baby? Growth. Yeah, growth, exactly. It sustains their life. And so in the same way, we see that not only is the word the cause of our new birth, the beginning of our life, but it's also what sustains our life in Christ. Yeah. So how do you, uh, I guess, reconcile that with like the end of Hebrews 5 says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice, by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. Yeah, that's a good question. Could I, could I answer that? Yeah, go for it. So uh, I was thinking about the fact that my parents did a brilliant thing for me when I was ten. They had us read a chapter a day and write something, write a summary on it. One of those three paragraphs of what we read that day. And uh, over a seven-year span of time, it was, it was a great concept because I, I knew God. I actually, it was how God introduced me, himself to me in all of the areas that affect my life and all of the great things that he does so that I know how to worship him and how to grow in the things that, that he wanted to interact with me on. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I mean, my initial thought to that is that I would, I would just guess that the, the authors of Scripture are using the metaphor differently. Like, Peter's saying milk as, like, this is what you need to sustain you, whereas the author of Hebrews is using milk in just a different way of saying, like, this is, this is what you're stuck with if, if you're immature. Pastor Ron is shaking his head. Yeah. Which is a good sign. Were you going to add something? I, I was just going to say another thing, too, is that they're not inconsistent. I mean, you don't have to start this Good point, yeah. you do have to move on. Correct. Right. Mm. And so that's why I think they're working together. Mm. You're saying, look, you can't just start, you can't just stay in the basics mm. for the whole time. Correct. You have to go deeper. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no one wants to see like a, a six-year-old breastfeeding <laughs> um so yeah sorry uh, cooper first then venetius 
Uh, so if we're saying that the word is milk, like, like you said, probably different uses, because we wouldn't say that as we're maturing, we need to get away from the word. Right. right, yeah, we should still always, even when we're mature, we should still be longing for the, the pure milk of the word. That's right, yeah. Um, just... I, I just have a question, actually. So, yeah. um, is that kind of indicative, like, the level of maturity and immaturity based on the milk or the meat, wherever you're at, like, of, like is that relevant to, uh, or indicative of where you're at, um, as far as, like, like, if somebody's there for, like, 10 years in a pure milk and they're not growing... Like, is that indicative then maybe of, of the fact that they're not saved? Or, or how, how would we discern like how to navigate that, if you will? Yeah, you're saying kind of if there's someone who doesn't appear to be growing at all? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if there's, you know, we'll know them by their fruits. So I think that if, um, and I mean, I think that's what, Hebrews is speaking to more than First Peter two, but um, yeah, we'll know them by their fruits. So yeah, there's. I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but in short, I think yeah, there's great cause for concern if someone says one thing, but we, you know, no one's really able to discern like growth, um, their growth in like holiness, growth in understanding. Is that kind of? Yeah, you, you put mean? it in better okay. words. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. I think First John, you know, really helpful book, yeah. written for that sense or written for that very question. Um, good. Okay, so I wanted to just read a couple um, questions from the Westminster Shorter because I think they sum up a lot of what we're talking about. So hopefully we'll unpack them further in a second. But we want to talk about how are we to prepare to receive the word because we know, you know, we've we've laid the foundation that it's it's central but now how are we to respond like how are we to receive the word in light of that and so first question 89 says i'll just read it um this is in the more it's the more modern version it says what makes the word effective for salvation the answer is the spirit of god causes the reading and especially the preaching of the word to convince and convert sinners and to build them up in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. So I like that because in that answer we're seeing how both the word is used to give new life and the word is used by the spirit to sustain life. And, and, I, and I think it's interesting too how it says the spirit of God causes the reading and especially the preaching of the word to convince it, convert sinners. Because I think sometimes we might think like, oh, well, like, you know, preaching is is tainted because you're mixing, uh, you're mixing like man's uh, opinions with God's word, and that's of course always a danger. But I just I just want to point out that that um, you know I think of like Acts eight with the Ethiopian eunuch. He was reading the word, and yet that wasn't sufficient. God, the Spirit, like you know, teleporter or something, fill up. Um, maybe that was at the end of the encounter, I don't remember, but at the end, okay, yeah. So anyway, the Spirit, though, brings Philip along, and, um, and it's Philip's teaching and preaching that was necessary for him to, to understand what he was reading. And so it's just interesting that it says, um, especially the preaching of the Word. And, okay, so... 
again, this is getting to the response part. Is it enough? You know, it, what we know that we need to put ourselves in front of good preaching. We know that we need to read and hear the word. But now this is getting to the like, in what way are we to do those things? So question 90 is, how is the word to be read and heard in order to become effective for salvation? Answer, for the word to become effective for salvation, we must pay careful attention to it, prepare ourselves, and pray for understanding. You know, when I think of prepare ourselves, I think of something like going to bed early on a Saturday night um, so that you're not dozing off during during the service, uh, which, man, that is easy for me to do if I do not get enough sleep. And so, um, you know, pray for understanding. I think that's... that's uh, you know, that's getting at, you know, both, both individually and corporately as we, as we pray for illumination. Um, so we must, and then it goes on to say, we must also receive the word with faith and love, treasure it in our hearts and practice it in our lives. So we're not, not to be just hearers merely, but um, doers of the word. So contrary to a passivity, this understanding of God's word should lead us to diligence to pay careful attention, prepare ourselves, pray for understanding. Um, could someone please read? Any, any questions or thoughts before I go on? It looked like some of you had something to say, but it's okay. All right, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Could someone please read, read that? For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively effectively works in you who believe. Thank you. So, who did they, who did the Thessalonians hear God's word from? Yeah, yeah, you heard from us. They heard it from men, yet how did they receive it? As the word of God. Yeah, so good. <clears throat> so good. Yeah. I just have two thoughts now that I can think. Yeah. Sorry. Um, two thoughts came to mind. One was uh, a passage that says, uh, as a word man, proving yourself to accurately, accurately is the key word, handling the word of truth. And I think of Job, how God said to his friends, like, you did not speak right of me, you know, so it's important to understand it accurately, so you're accurately handling it, so you're speaking the things that are accurately in accordance with how God has revealed it. It's good. Yeah, 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 amen. I also love Isaiah 66 too, and thinking about how to, how to receive God's word. Um, it says, God is saying, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think that's, that's another posture to, to pray for, that we would have that sort of reverence. Um, so going from there to, to next, we need to have um, humility. We want to strive for humility and dependence upon God as we hear and read the word first point was revere scripture if you're following along but so week after week we pray for illumination and that's that's 
we pray for illumination uh, right after the, uh, the pastor reads the scripture passage for the day, prays for illumination, and usually Ron will come up, he'll read the passage he's preaching on, and then he'll also offer a short prayer. And like, I just want to point out that this is, this is not just a habit. It's not perfunctory. This is because we depend on God to give us the grace to receive his word rightly. We know that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in us, we cannot receive and obey God's word. We need the eternal witness of the Holy Spirit, wherein the truth of the word is pressed upon our minds and consciences. And so, yeah, Psalm 119.18 is also, it's so helpful because it says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And so that's, that's the posture we want to always have. Like, we're coming to the word, whether it's together as a body or individually, it's like, God, open our eyes. We need help. I need your grace. Like, w- without your grace, my eyes are just closed to the, the beauty, like the depth of my need for you, the depth of your glory. And so we're asking him to open our eyes that we can see the wonder in his word, in his law. Um, so the third thing we need is receptive hearts. Um, could someone, yeah, receptive hearts. I mean, I think of the parable of the sower. Like, it's the heart that's good soil that bears 30, 60, 100 fold fruit. Um, we need hearts that are receptive. And so, could someone read James 1 22 through 25? Awesome. Go for it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Mm, Good. So, why? Like... Why is it dangerous to merely hear the word? Deceiving yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else? Yeah. Something that our professors at our school often talk about is that their theology leads to doxology. Mm. The more we know God, mm. the more we praise God. And I think I think that's true. I don't think it's just that archaeology should lead to doxology. I think true theology always does mm. lead to doxology, which James talks about mm. later in chapter 2, how our uh, faith produces works. Mm. Um, but yeah. I think that's a big threat yeah. that opposes a good school like RBC or a good church um, is that we just hear it and it stays in our mm. head and it doesn't get to our yeah. heart. Yeah, it mm. must lead to doxology. Yeah, that's good. Which is our true service of worship. Yeah. To, to hear and figure out how to do something of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to your, you know, to, to hammer home what we've already talked about, like, we are saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. True faith will come with this, this growth, this true worship from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, because... God's given us a new heart. He's given us his spirit. So, um, we are running so short on time. 
I'm just going to have to... Okay, well, yeah. Bible intake methods. <coughs> hearing God's Word. Reading God's Word. Studying God's Word. Um, I'm going to get with Arnie and see, figure out what to do. Um, does anyone have any closing questions or thoughts? Spiritual maturity leads to service. You can't have babies. Babies are not going to be serving. Yeah. And when babies do serve, bad things happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that can be... That's a really good word. Because I think so, sometimes like we, we just take, you know, spiritually immature Christians and kind of throw them to the wolves by having them, you know, do... Maybe, yeah, do acts of service that they weren't yet equipped for. Um, like, so, like in leadership. Or, yeah. 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 I think you see it especially in like the missions world. Like we just send out whoever. And it's like, oh, it, it's bad. It's not loving to, to people. It's not loving to, to the world. Um, it's not loving to the people that we're sending. Uh, but yeah, usually like the only qualification for missions is that you have a pulse. Yeah. And that you're willing to go. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, that, that's what I thought of when you said that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me, let me pray and close us. And thank you, guys. Um, Lord, we, yeah, we, we need you. We just, we thank you for your word. We praise you that you've given it to us, that, that, that we, we have your special revelation where we can see we, where we can learn about the width, height, depth of your love for us in Christ, where we can, yeah, just have our minds renewed. And God, we, we pray that you would give us the posture of the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at your word. Give us this posture even now as we go to hear your word read and preached as we respond in song and prayer and confession. Um, We pray that we would be those who tremble at your word. We pray that this would also lead us to to eagerly desire daily for time in your word, meditating on it, reading it, thinking it over, applying it in our lives. May we never be those who merely hear, but may we do what we have heard. May we obey. May may our learning, may may our theology always lead to doxology, that we would praise you worship you in spirit and truth because of the glories of Christ that we see in your word. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Thank you guys. Thanks for bearing with my cough that came out of nowhere.